The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Welcome to CPR Unplugged. I'm your host, Tom. And today in studio, we have Mari with us. He's a firefighter. And uh, welcome, Mari. Appreciate you coming in. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. How long have you uh, been a firefighter paramedic, Mari? I got hired with the Mesa Fire Department in 1999. So we're about ready to celebrate our 21st year. Um, I've been a paramedic since 1994. Mm -hmm. And uh, my... EMT cert I actually got in 92. So been doing this for a little bit. For a long time. I also understand you do private instruction as well, first aid, CPR, that sort That's of correct. thing. That's so. correct. Yep. I, uh, my side job is to, to educate, um, and I've taught from EMTs, paramedics, nurses, the, the, whole, the whole gamut. Right now I focus pretty much on American Heart Association classes, CPR, first aid, but also ACLS and PALS for the advanced on the advanced side. So um, that keeps me busy on, the, on my days off. I bet it does. That's great. Well, we've known each other for a while and, and have uh, seen each other on a call or two yes, sir. over the years. And um, I think like, uh, um, you know, any first responder, there's, there's the, the good calls, the ones that you feel – you know, good about, right? Sure. I mean, a great outcome, um, whether it's uh, uh, saving the, uh, as we joke, the foundation of a house over a, <laughs> a structure fire, right? Um, and then there's, uh, uh, you know, the, the relief when you go in and do those uh, life-saving measures and uh, they actually do pay off. Right, and then there's certainly those those challenging calls as well over the years, and and uh, they can be anything from, um, you know, the ones that kind of wear and tear on us a little bit. Uh, the two o'clock in the morning uh, calls, like falling, I can't get up, or abdominal pain they, for two weeks. For two weeks, and now at two o'clock in the morning, they decide it's a it's an urgent matter, right? And those can kind of take a wear and tear. But there can also be uh, those those more challenging calls, uh, the ones that um, what we call are, are critical or traumatic in nature, where they they tend to overwhelm one's usual ability to cope. I think you'd agree if if every call uh, bothered you or any firefighter or paramedic, it might not be the career for them, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, you, we we find ways to to cope to deal with with the calls with the um, as a doctor and I discussed one night the the death by a thousand cuts that can happen with accumulative effects, uh, but there can certainly be that that one call that uh, ends up in our scrapbook uh, that can be overwhelming that can. Uh, just challenge our normal coping skills and and kind of throw us for a loop. Um, would you be willing to to share a little bit? And we don't need to get into to any specifics, but I know you've had a a couple of challenging calls uh, over the years. Um, is there any one that kind of stands out? And again, you can just be very general um, in in the type of call it was. Sure. Keeping in mind that in this job, whether you have one year on or 21 years on, there's always going to be something that hits, that comes across and it sticks with you. And 
the culture alone, let alone the the human aspect of us wanting to block that out, mm-hmm. is always there. Sure. This is the profession that you block and and keep it out, and it works. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works Better. once. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works thousand times and what happens for me and the 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 way I can interpret what's been going on is is I've had several calls from from the very beginning Mm -hmm. Um, even when I was doing ride-alongs with uh, Phoenix to to see if I even wanted this job I had a double decapitation down at SNS Steel craziest thing I'd ever seen never and it was at that moment when I saw that I realized to myself, I can do this. Because hmm. for me, it just wasn't, it's two workers in a, you know, in a position where they, they were killed. And obviously it wasn't anybody close or anybody I cared about, but I never realized that, that you were able to do that. So I started there. Okay. So yeah, I knew that this was gonna be, be good for me. But what I didn't know is that those all add up. Sure. So working on an ambulance from 93 to 99, 94 to 99, became a paramedic in uh, 94. And even with, even on that side of it, I had multiple drownings, um, traumatic kids, you know, we know those particular calls. Again, they didn't bother me. Got hired by Mesa Fire and started running the, the same old, calls that we ran on an ambulance but on on the fire side and then it, it really took it really took several several drowning several bad calls where one of them finally made an impact that I knew that this wasn't just all glory and and all that was and this is way back we had a, a, a serious run of pediatric calls okay. and the the one of those several was a drowning in the backyard of a house. Their child drowned in the backyard with the other three kids playing in the backyard in a kiddie pool that was had barely any water in it, couldn't get out. The reason that call affected me was something I didn't get it at the time. Again, blocking all these out, right? So I didn't get it at the time. But what happened was we started working this kid on the back patio, on the porch. So my position happened to be compressions. And so here I have this kid that I'm basically holding in my hands, Mm -hmm. doing compressions while the rest of the crews, everybody that's there is working on all the other peripheral stuff. So as I'm doing compressions, I'm looking and mom's, mom's there, apparently neighbors coming over. You had the three or four kids still running around in the backyard, crying the whole, and I'm continuing doing CPR. And the problem was, is that I could absorb all this. Had I been innovating or sticking an IO or running the call, you don't get as much absorbed from that outside. Mm -hmm. It's when you become stagnant and routine in your work suddenly you're grasping everything. And in this particular instance, three of the helicopters, back in the day when three helicopters would cover 
all three of them were up here filming us on this patio. So I'm looking at them, looking at the kids, looking at people, our crew, we're doing it. We took the baby out the front door in an ambulance to a helicopter, waiting medical helicopter, and they took off. So one of the other guys was, I jumped in the back of the ambulance to go back to the house because all of our equipment was there. And one of the firefighters was sitting in the jump seat with his head down just you could see the distraught you actually you could feel the distraught in him and i hey what's going on? you know hey how you doing feeling what he's feeling at that moment now at that moment mm-hmm. so they closed the doors drove the ambulance back to the house we get out of the ambulance go in the house to go grab the equipment and i'm like you know what i need to call my wife which is my second wife because <laughs> our son was the same age as that kid. So I called her, and because there was so much chaos going on in the house, out front, inside, um, I darted into a door as I'm calling her saying, hey, um, where's Trey? He's my oldest boy. Um, He's 22. He's in Kuwait right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Hold Trey. Grab him. Where is he? Put him in your arms. Don't let go. I'll call you back. And when I finished that phone call, I realized that I was actually in the kid's bedroom that had just drowned. So I kind of, okay, out of here. So, and I never, so that scene kind of ended for me, got in, the, got in the ambo, went on our way, continued on. And when you look back at it, that's when... You can, you can almost figure where things took a turn. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you're feeling, if you're feeling the pressure of these calls, mm-hmm. whether it be one or th- a thousand, you're, you're going to have a tendency to go back and find that one that changed this for you, that made this job now no, no longer a career. It's now a job, and you can quit a job. You don't quit careers. True. So that just, that was the defining moment. So fast forward all the way to the major incident that put me into my PTSD event. All went back to that one call. But I never knew that. Mm-hmm. Had, I had, had I had heard about this help, because you and I both know this help hasn't been here. Yeah. So 10 years ago, 15 years ago, this wasn't here, not to this extent. So when you, when, when you don't have any resources to talk about that one call that made the difference then that you didn't know about until now, you can talk to people about that event. Because mm-hmm. that event is, is held in, held, that event like held in my head for all of those reasons. And and it's not until you look back at it that you go, well, shoot, I was doing a mundane job. I was watching everything go on. I, I hugged a fellow firefighter that looked just as distraught, got back, called, made a phone call right. to my loved one. And there was so many different things there that even one of those mm-hmm. could have put anybody in the situation of, I need to talk to somebody. Right. So had I known then what I know now what I didn't do and I think this is the 
for first responders, depending on their, you know, personality, everyone's going to deal with things differently. I think it's important to close out that call. Mm-hmm. And when you don't readdress that call, mm-hmm. you took everything for what it was and then left. And now you think, okay, I got help. Maybe we should talk about this. I want to close that call out. And how that works for you, it could be could be different for everybody. But getting some, if you need closure on the call, if you need to see the family again, if you need to read about them in the paper, if you need to follow up, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you have to be able to accept the fact of what had happened, what you saw, right. and now just erase it which is impossible, I'll tell you right now. I can tell you on every, all 15 drownings that I've had, I can tell you some details about every one of them and let alone some of the other bad calls. But so my point was is that that was the moment. That was the defining moment that when we, st- when we started talking about mental health for me mm-hmm. and figuring out how I can extend my career, mm-hmm. that was the trigger. So fast forward to the incident. I don't know what kind of details I can give, but. Well, I think, again, just some of the similarities. It was another trial call. Right. Uh, Yeah. It was the, um, it was the young boy. Well, the calls are coming in that it's officially a kid that's been hit by a car. So you're thinking about all the different things you're thinking about. You, you, you know, how's this happen? How's a kid get on a freeway? You know, what, what have you? And then you get there and you find out he's a trauma code. Um, and he, he was laying, like laying in lane two, lane one, lane two, and there was several people around helping him. Cars had at that point finally stopped and they were doing their thing, helping him, trying to do whatever they could. Well, it turns out that a friend, a mutual friend's wife was there that I knew, I knew her. So I had to, so I, you know, gave her a few kind words of, Hey, great job. Let us let us take over for now. And the process of the call was to do all of our normal treatment. We just had to do a little bit more. Um, there's my firefighter at the time. He was um, the one that him and I held the, the airway, his airway together and bagged him and, and did what we needed to do and took him by ground to county. That's, of course, a several-hour process. By the time we made it back to the station, right. you and your folks were there. Yeah. Then we find out that the flight crew that would have transported him has a nine-year-old kid, and things just started coming, coming out. So, even, so we, we had our CISM, our debriefing, right? Um, so just skipping past all the, the, the debriefing part, we stay at the station and I go home, go home the next morning, go out front on my patio with my wife. We're having coffee. She's got to go to work. It's a Sunday. I believe it's Sunday morning, Saturday morning, something. And we have our cup of coffee She's like, okay, I got to go to work, gives me a kiss, and gets in the car and drives off to work. A little bit later, Cameron, my boy, wakes up, 
comes over, knocks, opens the door, says, Dad, I'm hungry. I say, okay, yeah, go, go have some cereal. He goes, okay, door shuts, comes, comes back. Dad, I'm hungry. I'm like, boy, what, what's the problem? I said, go have some cereal. I go, Dad, it's lunchtime. So in a matter of a cup of coffee, it went four hours. Mm-hmm. So when that four hours was up, and I realized that I had been sitting there with a blank, yeah. nothing happened in four hours. Yeah. That's when I made my phone call to you, the chief, and everybody that showed up and, yeah. and helped from there. So it was th- that moment, that moment when I lost all track of time for that four hours, I knew at that moment that I had a, I have an issue. There's something wrong. Because I had a resource, because I had you, and we had all the other folks that showed up, I was able to give this to somebody for now. So it felt like, it felt like suddenly the whole universe, everything was sitting on top of me because you no longer have control of your brain. How does that, how does that even feel? How how can you even explain to somebody how it feels when you don't even have the ability to do anything for four straight hours? So I knew I needed help, made that phone call, got the help. And ultimately that brought me here today. I'm still, still working, still doing it. So it was at that moment then, that's when it was, it was time to seek deeper help, more help. Yep. And um, so that's when, you know, I started going to counseling, um, did, all the, did all the things that you should do, talk to somebody and go through all those things. And it was a process. It took some time, right? Yes. So I think it was May... Third week in May, and I, w- I came back on a fire truck working full time September 11th of the same year. So it took those months for me to go through tense therapy and then EMDR, and then just the, you know the whole the follow up, the repetitive you know talk about it, and ultimately in this in these intense counseling visits is when I was able to go backwards and find that first call that made the difference, that changed everything, Mm -hmm. and then had to fast forward and go through each and every one of those all the way up until this one to close them all out, to talk about them, to drown out the crying, drown out the blood, drown out the everything that we see. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, it's not... It's not the what's happening to the kid. Mm-hmm. It's what's happening to everybody around the kid. Mm-hmm. So if you're having a drowning, a kid that drowned, and we're working them, yeah. it's unfortunate that that happened to that kid. Right. But that's not what's your job is to do everything you can with that for that kid. The problem is, is everything around you. Sure. Sure. And that's where... I think that's where people like my like myself and 
whoever is in this does not get that you have to understand that. Yeah, there's there's other things that um, can influence one's memories of the event, right? And add additional stress to the event. Um, doing what you were trained to do a thousand times over wasn't the issue. Right. And and typically for responders who are, what I say, plugged in, right? You're you're doing what you're trained to do. It's the ancillary things that that pop in. It's the uh, sound uh, of a mother's voice, or the or the scream, or the cries, or the wails, or or the smell, which you know always goes into our memory banks, right? right. Um, it's those other distractions, if you will, uh, that that uh, can amp up uh, the response that we have to the event. Uh, our reaction to the event, and and there are other hooks there that um, can make a call um, more powerful. For example, and and you you mentioned it. One was uh, the exposure to the event. You weren't just on the outside. This was hands-on with with the calls you you described. Right, very intense, very uh, very much involved, versus out on the perimeter. Second factor is that there can be a, a personal identification, and you mentioned that a couple of times, um, where I've got a nine-year-old kid, this is a nine-year-old kid, I've got a nine-month-old, this is a nine-month-old, uh, where's the, the, the same stupid pajamas or whatever, does that make any sense, where we, we have that personal identification, that's, that's, a, that's a big hook, right? And, and, then, and then the other hook of... of um, kind of a violation of a of a personal belief, um, and I think for when it comes to children, when those of us who are parents, it's uh, we think of our own kids, and and we're not supposed to outlive our kids, and and so those those are pretty big hooks that really reel us in, uh, and and make uh, that event. Out of the thousands and thousands, I mean, think about the thousands of calls you've gone on, right? And and you've got whatever the number is, dozen or a couple of dozen that are in the scrapbook that have highlights and bookmarks on it, right? right? And, and stand out for specific reasons. So let's talk about a um, couple of things that, that maybe uh, you could share with us that were, were beneficial. One was, um, and you mentioned it, uh, the family support. Would you say that was um, important in your, your dealing with the challenges of these events? Well, absolutely. <clears throat> and that family can be your work family, your home family, your bar family. It, it, family extends a lot further after you have one of these events than it did prior to. Because... You know, at, at some point, we we all take for granted who we are, where we are, what we have. And, you know, when people have that near miss of, wow, that steel girder came down and missed me by one inch, and if I'd have been half a second, I'd have been dead. That moment, people then have a tendency to look backwards and go, well, wait a minute, what, what am I doing? I My life 
almost ended right there. So what am I doing? What 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 do I care about? Mm-hmm. What is what is life in general? And without family, friends and family, that can set you awry. You you could make that turn at that moment, thinking that geez, at any moment I could die. People have a tendency to look at that moment and go, well then, what's the point of going on? If people can die as quickly as that, as easily as that, then what's the point of me going on? That is a huge mind game that happens to you that you got to get past. And it's usually the first one. So when you finally have that moment, whether it be, you know, like for me, it was all these calls, Mm -hmm. going to the family. Absolutely. Keep in mind that Families need to be educated as well. Agreed. And it's if you don't if you think that the the defining moment happened to you and only you, you're wrong because it happened to the family. Absolutely. The family just doesn't know. You can't tell your wife or husband or significant other about what you saw or did. Because that's the same thing as us telling anybody else. Most of the time, we're trying to protect them. But what we didn't realize is that we're not protecting them because they don't have the same, they don't have the same vision. They don't see the same thing through our eyes. So when you have a a spouse or a significant other that goes on a daily life and and daily routine and whatever it may be, and I'm not going to categorize any of it it's a daily routine and any family any you with your friends or your spouse or what have you we have issues we things come up you got to realize that your family doesn't necessarily take the same view that you do now so when you have an event that changes your look of life right now as as it is in front of me Mm -hmm. Those are the reasons, that can be one of the reasons why people commit suicide, mm-hmm. is because at that very moment, to them, it's over. Uh, that was it. Or they suddenly realize you have, oh my God, I got a second chance in life, so let me make the most of it. And you seek, that's when you seek help in that very moment. So with family, you have them to rely on, and they're going to be always there for you, but they don't understand. They have to They have to either have been there or they have to be educated on being there because then they're not there. So when we go and think, okay, this event happened, I'm going to sit down with my wife or my husband or f- significant other, and explain to them what's going on. Because this was bad. It was. You explain to them what's going on. Do you think that they're going to provide the same mental support for you that anybody else would that is in the industry or are a professional at this? Mm -hmm. They're not. They're not. They're going to be there for you as a family member. So it's not enough. And remember that they're not feeling what you're feeling. So what I see a lot of times in my own life and other friends that 
we always talk about the the house getting now hostile. The ho- mm-hmm. Wife doesn't understand. Husband doesn't understand. Whatever it is, they don't get it. And you're pushing and pushing and pushing to get them, trying to get them to understand, talking to them about it, trying to share and trying to get support where you might not be getting support. You might just get, be getting misunderstanding. They don't understand what it is that's in your head. So to me, you have to have family, but they also have to be educated on this event. This cannot be a silent event. You need to share it. So getting help doing that, when you realize that you need help. Because it has a ripple effect onto the family. Absolutely. And, and it's tough on them because they want to help. They just don't know what to do. They're reacting to your reactions, and that can you know, just uh, start amping things up uh, because there isn't the awareness. And, and honestly, I think they feel at times helpless as well because uh, they, w- they want you back the way you were. They, they know the differences. They know your behaviors are off. And uh, uh, they're looking, I think, just as uh, many are, for those, for those magic words that unfortunately don't exist. Right. right? So family support, recognizing that it, it ripples onto them as well and impacts them. Um, and I think I appreciate your point about that, that we, we have to look at it um, in, in the recovery process of not just taking care of the, the responder, but including uh, the family members and their needs and their frustrations and their um, uh, desire to, to, to help, but to do the right thing. Right. And you see, in one of the one of the most common things that you'll ever hear and you would know more than any one of us is that it when when somebody takes their own life Mm -hmm. usually somebody will say i don't understand why he did that why would why would they do that why would they do that to their family why well that just shows you that it's not because we don't love our family it's not because we don't love what we do and any everything that we are and what we've become and all that. Right. It's that you have to just get this stuff in your head to stop. So, Mari, what would be um, some lessons learned that you feel other responders could benefit from? I'm thinking that a little upfront education might help two out of ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I think about when I was getting hired, if somebody came in and said, um, you know, if I had you come in today in today's world and say something mm-hmm. about uh, mental health or um, facts about what we're going to see and do and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if it would be a career killer for anybody, but it would certainly... Well, at least plant the seed, right? Yeah. Yes, and reiterate that there's help out there. And I think our department has been getting better and better at this. And the second thing I think would be just to talk about it. Start with something, somebody who you know has the same values or cares about you. Talk to them and then work, work your way up. Just use the resources that 
you have. Yes, I think that a couple of things that I I appreciate about your story, Mari, and you mentioned it was um, even that final call wasn't a career ender. You had to take a little bit of a time out, right? Right. But you're back in service. And and I think that's important, and you mentioned it earlier about do do I look at it from a completely – uh, a, a complete aspect of danger um, or opportunity. And it's interesting, crisis, uh, the word crisis in Chinese is written with two symbols, one representing one uh, danger and the other representing opportunity. And as you mentioned, making that conscious choice to look at it more from an opportunity standpoint still sucks, right? Um, but but we need to take care, care of of ourselves, and I think you would agree uh, many times responders take better care of their equipment than they do the operator. That's the truth, that's for sure. So definitely a lesson here of we've got to take care of the operator. Don't let it build up. Uh, Don't let it become problematic. Don't let it overwhelm. Use your support system. Know that while you can't change the event, you, you do have control over changing how you look at the event, and you mentioned that. Right, and that's the, uh, the, the biggest thing that I got out of all this was from May to September, um, I was not working, at, for most of that anyways, and my time was spent going to therapy and figuring out how to get rid of this because I wanted to come back on a truck. I only had 15 years or so on at the time. I wanted to get back on a truck. And not knowing what what the end result would be is you. I just kept going with the, the intention that I want to get back on a truck. And it made me more passionate about developing those coping skills. Yeah, you build your coping skills. You, you build your toolbox. And you know when to use your toolbox because you have the ability to recognize, hey, it's time to pull that tool out. Yeah, and that's been, and, that, and that's been tough, but uh, it's very, very manageable. Manageable, and it's an ongoing process every day. Well, thanks for joining us, Mario. I appreciate it very much and sharing your story. Thank you, Tom. You've been listening to CPR Unplugged. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. 